Trader, Trade Trader, Cobb Crypto Podcast. This is the Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. Another fantastic guest in Trace Meyer, host of the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast and the very first Bitcoin evangelist. Trace, thank you so much for being on the show, mate. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Help your audience out. Yeah, look, mate, it's, it's been a, uh, a very, very intense last couple of days for me, and I'm enjoying it to no end. My, my fascination with you, Trace, is, is first, before we get into the side of the cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and, and some of your, um, I think claim to fame is the wrong way of putting it, but, but you've definitely made some big calls and been very, very, very right and made a lot of people a lot of money. Where were you prior to being in Bitcoin and, and what were you doing? What made Bitcoin stand out for you? Yeah, so I mean that's a multifaceted uh, question. All the way from when I was a tiny kid, I was entrepreneurial and very interested in money. And then I saw Napster and BitTorrent and things like eGold and Gold Money. Uh, and then law school, I wrote papers about about money and and the legal side of stuff. And so when I ran in, actually about a couple of years before Bitcoin even existed, I had a blog called RunToGold.com, and there I would talk about finance and economics and sound money. And kind of the the big dichotomy that we have between what's called political currency and then sound money and how that intersects with human civil liberties, human rights, uh, political institutions, the, the role of the state, all of that stuff and how it impacts our daily life. And so that's really where I came from when it came to Bitcoin. Uh, and then, like you said, I, I mean, I was the first person to talk about this when it was between a nickel a quarter uh, and then every previous major bull run in Bitcoin, I've called it in advance publicly in interviews like all over the place. In fact, this recent one that went to 20,000, I was out beating the drum when it was about 600 bucks saying we're going to $3,500. And sure enough, within about six months, it went to 3,500 and then kept going like it usually does. Can I please have a, a quick rub of your genie bottle and find out where we're going to next? Uh, yeah, I mean, I put most of our stuff out on uh, Twitter. You know, I have at Trace Mayer and Preston from the Investors Podcast. He coined this thing called the Mayer Multiple, and it's a technical analysis, a technical indicator I use where I take the current price divided by the 200-day moving average to get a relative price, and then I like to plot that relative price over time. And so right now we're at about ten thousand two hundred dollars on the 200-day moving average, and we're at eighty-five hundred dollar Bitcoin. Well, eighty-five percent of the time that that ratio has been higher than it is today. So if you buy the long-term fundamental thesis uh, with Bitcoin, then now it actually be a pretty good time to buy it in terms of, you know, just the statistical or the, the technical analysis using that type of an indicator. Yeah, well, history does repeat itself, as we all know, and uh, you might not be aware that Trace, but I'm a technical trader, have been trading in traditional markets for the last 11 years, have dropped everything to come across to this space uh, and very, very big on the on the technical analysis side. Before we go too far into that area, though, I mean, when you did, I mean, I'm very fascinated by the early days, right? Because I wasn't there. I'm not a tech guy. I'm an investor. I'm a trader. Uh, and you were talking about, you know, Bitcoin back when we you said a, a nickel for that for anybody else who's outside of the state, about twenty five cents. Is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, nickel, 25 cents. This was uh, January 2011's, like, the first YouTube that I put out. Uh, you know, because, I mean, everybody's a Bitcoin expert now, right? But, like, yeah, who, actually, course, yeah. who, who actually had interviews? Like, and are those interviews on third-party sites where there are timestamps and stuff like that? Provable, yeah. You know, yeah. like, I mean, that, that's one of the thesis with Bitcoin. Like, don't trust, verify, prove it. Like you're good, mm. prove it. Like you did it, prove it. Uh, you know, so I, you know, don't take my word for it. Like it's out there. Go, well, like you can prove it, right? And so, absolutely. And so that's really, you know, that that, and that's part of what the ethos of Bitcoin is, or at least in the early days, is all about. It's about being able to take direct control over your data, which we've now been able to turn into money, which. Or, or a way to transfer value over a communications channel, uh, over an internet protocol. And money's just one application of this, but you know, there are going to be a lot more applications, smart contracts, lightning network, uh, you know, lightning, uh, these new channel factories. We got mass, we got the simplicity programming language that we'll be able to put onto this stuff. Uh, I mean, like so much innovation is going to come out of this and it's going to reshape fundamentally how we operate society and you know these are all things that i was talking about you know five years ago and so you know for a lot of people the future you know the future is a very ethereal thing uh but you know if you really kind of understand the pieces you can begin to see how the future comes into alignment and then you you literally change the world to fit that future that you have in vision and that's what There's we're a doing. reason why I've dropped everything in, in this space for sure. And look, here's a question. So you, you've obviously been very good at predicting Bitcoin. You've been very public in predicting Bitcoin. You've been very right in predicting Bitcoin. And I'm hoping and I believe you've probably done very, very well out of predicting Bitcoin. So congratulations on that. Was Bitcoin the first? I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know how old you are. I've seen your photo. You look like a fairly young gentleman. Um, but I mean, was was this your first sort of? Uh, I mean, I know you had the blog and I know that you were in, involved in other markets. Were, have you got a history leading up to this uh, of predicting things? Of course, it's much more difficult in slower markets. You can predict a shorter period move. You know, I know you're not so old that you could have picked something, you know, way back in the day, like the internet boom or these types of things. Perhaps you were. I don't know. Your photo is a very good one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have I, you got a history of being right? Yeah, actually, actually, I did predict the internet boom. Uh, th- this is this is really this is really <laughs> funny. My my dad actually he, he had a I think he had a Series Seven, and uh, he was taking like an MBA course while I was young. I think I was like six, and he so he he'd talk about the economics uh, that he was reading with me like out on the front step. But then you know I I, I when I was young, I think I was still in middle school, actually. And my dad was like, you know, what stock should we buy? And I was like, well, I think we should buy Marvel stock, like the comic books, right? And he was like, why do you think we should buy that? And I was like, because everybody at school is reading the Marvel comic books. And he didn't buy the stock. And I think the stock went from like $6 to $120 in like less than a, in about a year. <laughs> and so, so I kind of looked at that. And and I looked at the money that I made from like, you know, my entrepreneurial ventures. And then I looked at how much money I could have made with my stock. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I think I should like figure out how to do this stuff. Right. And so I, I got into stocks, uh, you know, so in high school, I was trading stocks all over the place. And so, I mean, I traded the Internet 
I, I traded the internet boom. Uh, I sold, wow. I sold out of that and I moved into harvest energy, which was a Canadian oil, uh, royalty trust. And that thing like paid a month, a, a monthly cash dividend. And it went up, it went from like $4 to like $40 over an eight year period. Plus paying a monthly dividend that went from like 1.2 cents a month to like 40 cents a month. And so, you know, I, I, kind of moved out of the internet boom into the commodities boom. Uh, I'm primarily into oil, but then I, I also, uh, you know, ran into gold. And so I kind of played the gold market as it went up too. So, I mean, I've kind of had a history of, of, you know, seeing where stuff's going. I like to skate where the puck's going to be. And in that process, it's, you know, it's, I've really, I think, refined my ability to to look and analyze stuff too in the global macro picture, which helped identify the Bitcoin trend, you know? So you've had a lot of successes, it's fair to say. So let, let, let's flip this script, right? So a lot of people talk about their successes, and, and of course, why not? You know, we, we like to talk about the things that we're good at, and, and so do I. I mean, I'm, there's certain things that I'm very good at and certain things that I'm not very good at at all. I'm sticking to the things that I'm good at. But to get to where you are, you've had successes and failures. And as you'll know, as being a market participant for as long as you have, it tends to be the, the I want to say failures, because you only fail when you stop, but the Places you learn your biggest lessons are when you make your biggest mistakes. I mean, what have you had as a couple of those that have really brought you back uh, to an understanding of, okay, maybe respect for money, maybe maybe becoming humble. I mean, a lot of people that make a decent amount of money in their younger years can sort of the first money that you make, you, you can often be a bit silly with it, maybe get a bit cocky. You don't necessarily need to be arrogant, but you can get cocky and think that you've got it all pat, down pat. You can be a bit silly. Did you have anything like that along the way that you really learn a lot from? I, I don't know that I've had like any catastrophic uh, failures. <laughs> I, I, I've had tons of failures, but I, I suppose, you know, and this, this probably comes from my entrepreneurial background is as an entrepreneur, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually extremely conservative and I'm extremely risk averse. And so what I try to do is I, I try to minimize my downside risk as much as possible. And then I've also brought that into like my Bitcoin play, for example, or, or my stocks in general. And so like with Bitcoin, one of the things I've kind of been talking about lately is how it's the hodler of last resort that that provides that foundational floor to Bitcoin. It's the person who's going to buy Bitcoin when nobody else will and will hold it. That's what's going to give this like first network effect of speculation. It's true power. And so I, I suppose when I, like when I was trading, I, when I was first learning about like futures and options and, and, and all of these things, like I, I did get kind of uh, stopped out of some of my positions. Uh, and, and that, that gave me a very healthy respect for, how important it is to be able to have the the monetary sovereignty or the financial wherewithal to stick to your conviction to become that hodler of last resort and so that's one of the things i really love now uh because with bitcoin it's equity based like if you hold these things properly nobody can get them like you're never going to get called out of your position like you become the hodler of last resort so you literally are able to take territory on that blockchain and you never have to give it up period you know this is one of the things that Warren Buffett talks about he's like you know Mr market and blah 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 and like you know what happens if if the market's tra stop closing for 10 years or or whatever like how does that affect your investment methodology and i'm like that's great 
Like I'm a hodler of last resort. Like you're not going to shake me out of my position. I'm going to choose when I move in and out of my position. I'm not going to have that choice forced upon me in any type of way. And, and I suppose that's one of the big lessons I learned because, you know, I, I kind of, I, I didn't really understand fully how the, the different futures and options worked and stuff. And so I, you know, I got, I got four sold out of some of my positions and I didn't really appreciate that. <laughs> Of course. I, you talk about Warren Buffett, and I find that very interesting. Obviously, anybody who's been around long enough does find some form of lesson from the legend that he is. Now, one of the things that you also said was conviction. And I, I talk about conviction a lot. I mean, for me, it's about being decisive and, and being able to stand behind your own decisions that you make individually. Now, in this space, we do see a lot of people that don't really know what they're doing. For example, my trading strategies are a complete checklist, like a literal checklist. You can go through and tick things off. I'm very objective in everything I do, removing the emotion. Of course, you can apply emotion to it, but you do it long enough, you don't. Now, the big word there again is, is conviction. In this space currently, and it will change, currently we are seeing a lot of the tail wagging the dog. We're seeing people chasing things, jumping into, into trades or investments based off somebody's news or listening to you know the whole um, uh, McAfee tweet saga. There's a lot of uh, lack of education, understanding and respect. And then people go, oh, I lost this or I did that. And for me, like when I got into this market not too long ago, like back last year, I think it was only last year that I sort of dropped everything after investigating it and got in, um, I haven't had any touch wood. I haven't had anything that's gone catastrophically bad because I do two things. One, I look at it as an investor. Now, of course, I can't look at the PL. Like there's, there's a lot of things that I can't go and look at that I would with a PLC. But taking some of the simple principles has helped me to sort of sail down the right path. And two, again, when it comes to trading, having that solid checklist, I think a lot of people lack the conviction and that's why we see a lot of the volatility. Would you agree with that or care to elaborate? Yeah, I, I, well, one, I completely agree with that because the first network effect is speculation and there's just a wide varying degree in terms of knowledge. We have asymmetric knowledge between people. We have people with totally different backgrounds. They're all trying to assess this new thing. The world's never seen anything like it. Like, yeah, there's going to be a wide variety of, of opinions and then people start staking money on that and then you get volatility and you have momentum traders and everything following that. And I, I really like to go back to first principles and and you have to understand how hum the human mind works. And the human mind is really divided up into two areas. And you could call this our will or our heart. It's our emotional side. And then you've got our, our rational or our analytical side or our mind. So you've got our heart and our mind. And really, the heart is, is where all of our conviction resides. Like, like everything that you do is you're doing it because you love it one way or the other. You have a desire for it. And so that emotion feeds out into your intellect and, and you'll actually see people, their mind will begin to get warped in a way that serves that heart, kind of like planets that rotate around the sun, your thoughts will rotate around what you really love. And so, you know, that's like, I personally, I don't, we were talking about the interview before how I live in Vegas, but I mean, I don't like gambling and I, you know, I don't. So, so like, I'm not going to invest in a gambling company. I'm not going to invest in a porn company. Like this stuff is not in harmony with what's in, in terms of my central conviction or my emotion. Right. So, so I actually go and find something like Bitcoin. Oh, well, monetary sovereignty. Hey, that can be in harmony with, with what I really love and what I really desire. And then from there, I move into a more outer 
realm, which is the mind. And that's where I'm looking at the logical process, you know, and I'm beginning to make the case. So like, for example, I, I, I can't coin a thing like why hire Bitcoin? And I came up with seven network effects. You've got speculation, merchants, consumers, miners or security, you got developers, financialization, and then world reserve currency. So now we've got this framework and within each of these network effects, we've got entire industries, you know, exchanges in the first network effect of speculation, payment processors, the miners, uh, companies like Blockstream in the fifth network effect, uh, CME futures, in the six network effects. So we got entire industries. So now I'm, you know, I'm building the, the, the intellectual or the logical model for the, the reason to buy and hold Bitcoin in order to serve the purpose of the monetary sovereignty, right? And then the action comes in of actually buying the Bitcoin and learning how to secure it and all of this stuff. And that's one of the reasons I, I funded Armory was so that we could have a tool, a Swiss army knife, you could say, to to store and to create and store and securely hold our Bitcoin private keys. Why? To serve the purpose of the monetary sovereignty and, and, and doing it in a, in a very wise way, you know, open source software with, with just incredibly secure code, all of this stuff. And so, you know, that when, when you're talking about conviction, if you're going to actually architect like what you're doing instead of just being tossed around or chasing, you know, just chasing the rabbit. If you're if you're actually going to take control of your situation and you're going to build, you, you have to start and build this intellectual and emotional structure first at the most interior part of yourself and then move out from there. And that's then how you begin to make your trade conviction, right? Make, make your trade and have conviction behind it and follow through behind it. And, and then it's like, oh, well, when do I want to buy Bitcoin? Well, I want to buy it when it's cheap as opposed to expensive. Well, how do I, how do I understand that? Or how do I measure that? How, how do I get an objective checklist, you know, I, I love checklists because they take a lot of the emotion out of it. Correct. And so in my case, it's like, oh, well, I think Bitcoin's expensive when it's above 3.0x on the mayor multiple. And I think it's cheap when it's below 0.9x on the mayor multiple. So I'm going to buy when it's below 0.9x. I'm going to sell when it's above 3.0x. And now I've got a checklist and then I've got, you know, I'm able to take different funds or different, you know, take different profits in that funds lifestyle. And so that way I don't get myself upside down in credit card debt because then you, you lose monetary sovereignty when you're in debt to people, right? Like, and so, so then you're able to start building an absolute financial fortress and, I mean, you know, you kind of alluded to it, like hope I've done well. I mean, just to put some metrics up there, uh, I, you know, I've, I've read every letter to shareholders from Warren Buffett. There's like, like 50 of them, right? Cause he started Berkshire Hathaway 52 years ago. My return in seven years is seven X his return in 52 years. Yep. That like I can just, understand completely. Like just to put the scoreboard up there, right? Just to put the scoreboard up there. And so like, I mean, he's had a wonderful performance. Don't get me wrong, but he, like compared to what the type of wealth transfer and generation that we're seeing happen in these crypto markets, I mean his returns are abysmal. To be honest, yeah, like absolutely. Well, he's, not, he's not an adopter. He's not somebody who's at the coal face at the early, early days. So what you were saying about the conviction thing, I mean, I think just to make it nice and easy for everybody to sort of take that information, it's almost like you're saying it's an internal structure of belief systems that 
it begins at, which is kind of like that's your roots and the base of the tree. That tree then grows up, and from what you're saying, it's kind of like you find areas where you can actually use that conviction. Then checklists come in, which ends up being the, tr the, the branches of the trees, and you keep shooting off branches. And as we get older, that's just the same with big trees. We have more and more branches that get stronger and stronger, bigger and bigger, and we reach out further and further, and we continue to learn and we continue to grow. And it's a really, really good uh, analogy that you also mentioned an uh, armory. Now, I wanted to come and touch on some of the investments you've made that are public, that you, that you have made public. Uh, you're a seed investor, of course, in Armory, uh, also in Kraken and Bitpay. Now, you gave your example as to why on Armory. Based on this you know, new tree analogy that we've got from the core uh, of your belief system, uh, what was Kraken's reason and what, why Bitpay and why Kraken? Why were these two that you felt matched your internal dialogue? Yeah, so for, so first in order to in order to properly speculate in Bitcoin, you have to be able to securely hold it. Well, in order to securely hold it, you need wallet software. And and if you really want to have safe and secure wallet software, you need to have what's called cold storage. You need to have the keys being generated on a device that's never touched the internet. Well, that's what we innovated at Armory. We created that entire system, right? And so you know that that's at least how Armory plays into it. Hey, I want to speculate in Bitcoin. I need to scratch my own itch. What's my itch? I need to securely hold my Bitcoins, and so that's what we did at Armory. Uh, and you know, not every investment works out, and and Armory is turned into an open source project, and I decided not to fund it anymore. So you know, sometimes you know that I don't want to say it's a failure because I still got my Bitcoins. They're not in Mount Gox, right? Because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are correct. a lot because there are a lot of people who don't have their Bitcoins. I mean, I have I have yeah. lots of friends that didn't put in the homework, didn't figure out to use Armory, and I mean, one guy he's he's been on unemployment for about twelve months. Uh, he has six million dollars worth of bitcoins in Mount Gox right now, and he's in deep wow. depression because he you know he could have been rich and now he's so sleeping close. On his, he's sleeping on his parents' couch because he didn't properly yeah. you know put in the framework. You know he, he and he now knows it. You got to grow. Yeah. And he knows it. I mean, that's, that's even worse, right? Like not only did you, you took the swing and the ball like is going the right way and then it gets caught by the outfielder and it's like so close to being a home run, but boom, you're on the bench now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very unfortunate, like Kraken. So, hey, if people are going to speculate on, on, on the price of this stuff, they're going to need to trade it on an exchange. Correct. So, that's, so that's very close to the interior part of these network effects. Security, exchange, right? And then what's the second network, second and third network effects? There's merchants and consumers. Well, that's what Bit, BitPay does. It does uh, payment processing. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not funding companies that are working on like the the fourth or the fifth or the sixth network effects of like smart contracts. I'm saying really close to the center and to the core. And then from there, I, I'm going to put the roots out and strategically take take territory as the industry develops and stuff. I mean, I'm not done with with venture investments at all. I mean, yeah. I'm still going to make them, but still, you know, they, still looking for them. Yeah. Yeah, but but I'm going to do it very strategically, just like a tree sends out its roots very strategically. Because at the end of the day, you know, in your analogy with a tree, it's just so great. Because at the end of the day, the it's the, that fruit is kind of the scoreboard, and you you have yeah. to do so much work in order to actually produce that fruit. You know, and, and if so, the roots get rotten, it's all over. 
yeah, the roots get rotten or they get damaged, the trunk, like, I mean, you got all this, you got all this stuff. So to actually get fruit, you know, out of, out of your, your life and out of how you live and, and out of your investments and all this stuff, it really takes a lot of hard work and, and ingenuity and creativity and, and risk management and conviction and, and all of this stuff. So you know, here here we are. <laughs> Completely. Well, we're both we're both here at the same time. I've got two more questions that I really want to hit you with. Short answers, if we can. The first one is: I know you're a big Bitcoin believer. You're a big believer within the blockchain community. Right now, somebody in your position, with your understanding, a very early day uh, take up. What do you see as being the most exciting area in blockchain right now? And what do you see as being the biggest hurdle in the space right now? I think the most exciting is probably the Lightning Network. Uh, this is live on mainnet. There's over 20 Bitcoins in Lightning Network uh, channels. This is going to enable huge scaling in terms of the amount of transactions that can that can be done in a trustless, disintermediated way. Uh, and then all of the other financial innovation that's that's stacked up behind that mast. Uh, channel factories, uh, Schnorr signatures, simplicity. I mean, it just, the, the list is endless. Um, and then I, I'd say the biggest hurdle, the biggest hurdle I would say is probably just disseminating the human knowledge. Uh, people being under understanding and, and putting in the homework and learning how to to actually use this new technology. I mean, it's really it's really quite interesting. I mean, Bitcoin's been around now what eight years, and we got no nine years. It's been around nine years, and we got people who who heard about Bitcoin five years ago, but haven't done any homework. And yet Bitcoin has massively grown and, and metastasized and gotten so much more complicated, but they still think Bitcoin is the thing that they heard about five years ago. And it's like, that's no, it's not nothing like that. Right. And so, you know, just disseminating all of this Bitcoin knowledge. I mean, that's what my podcast is for, you know, teaching people how to how to understand this technology, getting people to practically implement it, you know, to, to be riding their bicycle, not with training wheels anymore, moving into the motorcycle, like flying the plane. I mean, there are so many different ways to, to use this technology. And I mean, you, just have to, you just have to get in and freaking do it. And yeah, they're scared because when you screw up, you might lose money. And that's a natural human emotion. But how much money have people spent on education? I mean, they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to law school or medical school. This is your financial education. And, and at the end of the day, nobody cares more about your health or your wealth than you do, because you're the one who actually has to live with, with the, the fruit of, of that, right? And so, I mean, like you, you have to have some degree of financial intelligence and, and knowledge, or you're just going to get totally taken advantage of. I'm, I was reading an article yesterday about Kwame Brown, the basketball player, and how his investment advisor embezzled like $17 million, or that's what the lawsuit is. And it's like, why were you trusting that person at all to begin with? Yeah, completely. Like, like, like why didn't you have any financial intelligence? Like, come on. And we on. see it time Seriously? and time again, too. It happens again and again and again and again. Final question, Trace. Final question. I could talk to you literally all day and maybe we'll do that. But um, I always ask the guests uh, on the show, especially people that are in the space that are not just doctors working within the area, but people that are pioneers or investors or, you know, like yourself, someone who's been in the space and looks at the entire space, not just one aspect of it. We often talk about the internet, the dot com and the 
the similarities, of course, it's very different. But obviously, as far as tech goes, these two are very similar in the sense of how fast they can change the way we do business and the way we work, the way everything happens within our entire life. Now, are we, do you think, in 1993 or 2000 or somewhere in the middle? Where do you think we sit on that scale compared to the internet? Well, I mean, yeah, of course. I I mean, I, I understand what you're asking. I'd say we're probably pretty early, 93, 94, but it's a totally different. And and part of the reason is one, we we have all these we're 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 able to use all these previous tools to build Bitcoin, right? Like we we have YouTube and Facebook and podcasts and we have TCP and HTTP and SMTP. We're able to use all these tools to build Bitcoin that we didn't have when we first built the internet. The second thing is that when we when we first like with when we had the dot com boom and everything and and the previous way we built out the internet a lot of the value accrued to the companies to the googles to the facebooks right uh they're the, i mean they're the tech giants but in this case the value is going to accrue probably to the tokens to the to the internet protocols themselves so the value is going to be in bitcoin and then a little bit of the value is going to be in coinbase or in kraken or whatever uh i was reading an article circle valued at three billion in this recent round with goldman yeah. sachs and yeah. bitmain yeah. uh Coinbase, one of the largest companies, eight billion valuation. Kraken's got a probably a five billion valuation, and Bitcoin's got a hundred and fifty billion dollar valuation. Right, so the value is accruing to the protocol. Whereas when we first built out the internet, like you didn't get to own part of HTTP, you didn't get to own part of SMTP and own and 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 get to make money for every single email that got sent around. But that's what you get to do this time around, and so it's it's like. It was back then, but it's also totally different. Couldn't agree more. It's been an absolute pleasure. Trace Mayer having you on the show. Where does everybody find more about you? Please tell the audience. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, my podcast, of course, Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, www.bitcoin.kn. And then on Twitter, just at Trace Mayer. So uh, thanks so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Your insight, your stories, the information, everything that you bring to the space. I'm very passionate about this space. Now, you've been in this space for a lot longer than I. A lot I can learn. It's been an absolute honor having you on the show. Thank you very much for your time. The Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. Check out TraderCobb.com because experience matters. 